and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. I'm Tegan. And this is episode 13, brought to you by Sophie as a Horse Girl. We love our horse girl. We finished Exile this week, which is very exciting. We read up through um, up through the end of the book. Woo! So that's... Woo! So that's what, two down, six to go? And another one on the way. It just, it doesn't end. <laughs> I hope it doesn't. It's such a good book series. True, true. Before we get into what we're talking about for this episode, we have a couple messages. Um, we got a couple messages last week. Um, so we're going to start with some listener correspondence. This one, this first one is on Instagram. It's from mthomas458. And the message says, Hi, I just started listening to the podcast and it's absolutely amazing. I cannot stop listening and I really love having a fun podcast to listen to in quarantine. I can't wait for more episodes and I hope you are doing well. So, thank you. Aww. Yeah. These messages, <laughs> That's they... That's so sweet. I know, it's so sweet. And it really means, it means a lot to us. And honestly, like, about about quarantine, recording these is giving me something to do during quarantine too. So, like, it's a win-win situation for everybody. Definitely. And it's really nice to go back and read through something that, like, you find a lot of joy from, since we're all stuck at home right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I know I've talked about this before, but I just really don't remember anything from the first few books. So, like, going back, it's almost like reading it all over again. So it's it's fun. Yeah, it's kind of like all of the events in the first couple books just kind of smash together, and then I kind of forget some of the finer details, so it's really nice to reread it. Um, we also got a submission on Tumblr um, from One Cannot Be Brave. It's, I, I don't know if Lee's posted it yet, but it's, um, it's a photo of, it's a photo of an, of an aquarium-like office. I saw that. <laughs> Um, (laughs) it's the welcome to my office meme. I just, to the person who sent that in, I appreciate you so much. It's gold. It is fantastic. Oh, Alden is, Alden is fish tank. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like that's another one of his children. It's just that fish tank. The fish tank is his child. It's taking the place of Alvar. (laughs) <laughs> Just get out of the way. It's the fish tank now. It's the eldest child. And Oliver's been replaced by a fish. Honestly, isn't it kind of better, though? It No, it, it is. Yeah. Fish would be a better son. Fish don't <laughs> betray you. At least at least Fitz will get along with it. <laughs> Feed it on Tuesdays. Um, Alright, so those were the messages. Um, So now I guess we'll get into our last episode of Exile. Um, so I think we'll just start off with specifics. Um, the section starts where they're heading to the Havenfield Caves, um, with Keith, it's Sophie, mm-hmm. Keith, and Dex. With the whole fix you. Yeah. So there's the I whole thing. I could only think of the Coldplay song. <laughs> All I could think about was the Coldplay song. The that's, entire time, I was like, so funny why is Chris Martin in my head? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true that, like, f- 
Fix You is on all of my coddle playlists pretty much just because of the title but yeah so we find out that the black swan has sent sophie this note that's like we can fix you um because she's been having trouble with various light related things and like having headaches and fits can get past her blocking and basically her mind is malfunctioning and that also causes her not to be able to like be able to fix minds which is kind of the big thing of this book which is being able to fix alden so i feel like that really pushed her into going to the black swan was alden's mind break moving on into like so this is where like the a bunch of things happen in very rapid succession here yeah everything happens so quickly it's just like boom 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 it's like because i remember i was when I was reading the section, I was like, oh, we're really, when Sophie had that allergic reaction, I was like, oh, we're really close to the end. Is this the whole climax of the book that, like, Sophie has to give herself an allergic reaction? And then, nope, in the last, like, 20 pages, it's just like, oh, you know, uh, what? Oh, never seen. Council threatening exile, healing Alden. Like, it's just like, I feel like she was trying to set up so much in this last couple pages that I was like, whoa, this is so much. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. I also felt like when Sophie was going to get fixed, you know, how they're like, we need to sedate you. I was like, doesn't Sophie hate sedatives? She took that so easily. Like, usually she hates them and she just went, yep, I'm going to eat this cookie. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was like a okay, well, I guess this is necessary kind of thing, but but yeah, I agree, since she sent, spent this whole book. She really didn't struggle with taking it. Yeah, like, she was just fine with it. Yeah, she was just like, I'm just gonna eat the cookie, and I was like, don't you hate sedatives? I also love the undertones of Gen X, this entire last couple set of chapters, where she's like, if I die, I die. You know what? Living life on the edge. Allergic reaction, it's fine. Oh my goodness, I just thought of something. You know how Sophie in the first book is talking about like how she thought she was kidnapped by Keebler elves and they made her make cookies? Oh my gosh, wait, you're right. That totally just like connected for me. Oh, you've connected the dots. Like when she like is in the human room. Yeah, yeah, the the Keebler elves and the cookies. The Keebler elf dream that she had, it totally connects to this. Yeah. Okay, wouldn't it be so funny if the cookie that they gave her was a Keebler elf cookie? That totally connected. Like, the fact that, like, the dwarf and the cookie, and going back to the first book where she was scared that she got kidnapped by someone, like, the Keebler elves, and she had to make a certain type of cookie. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Wow, I feel like I totally just found, like, something super secret. I should not be as proud of myself as I am. (laughs) and also did you see how like when Sophie was like leaving and like saying goodbye to Granny and Adeline and then Keith just like was like my parents didn't care like that poor boy oof ouch yeah especially because like beforehand I yeah I took a note when um when she and Grady were talking about like about um Alden they were like oh, I'm so glad that, like, he brought us into each other's lives. And I was like, oh, my God. 
That's so sweet. Right? So pure. They're just the cutest. I know. And then Keith's just standing there like, yeah, my parents only, like, care if I lose their family heirloom. Literally, I'm like, that poor boy has been a subject to abuse and he needs to get rectified. He needs to get his true loving family that he deserves. That's a really good point, actually. That, like, even after the series is over, like, he can't... I mean, I don't... I wouldn't be happy if... if the series ended and he still had to like go home to Cassius. Like he needs to find Yeah. He needs his own Gradient Edelin. I feel like by the time the series is done though, they're gonna be out of school. True. That's possible. Cause at this point he is even like almost in the elite levels at this point, right? And then when you're in the elite levels you just live there. Mm-hmm. And then you have it's two years and then you're out of school. So he might by the end of the series, be able to go live in his own house. I saw this weird parallel during this chapter as well when uh, Keith was talking about his, like, how he uses humor to disguise, like, his insecurities. I saw a parallel to Leo Valdez from uh, the Percy Jackson books, you know? How he uses humor to, like, mask his like feelings and hurt and I just thought that was kind of interesting that both these characters that are in really popular like book series they actually tend to be people's favorites so I just thought that was cool to see like the same idea in both characters and how it was explored in both ways yeah that's really interesting I've admittedly only read one Percy Jackson book (gasps) I know I'm sorry I, but, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I can't think of any other examples, like, from other books right now, but I agree that, like, those kinds of characters who mask all their insecurities behind, behind humor and jokes, they do tend to be pretty popular and, like, well-liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Leo Valdez is from, like, the Heroes of Olympus series. This is just me letting you know. Like, it's from the Heroes of Olympus series, and he actually is, like, one of the favorites in that, in that book, because he tends to mask his, like, he, fear with humor, and he acts a lot of, like, Keef. So it's just really interesting to see both of those characters. Oh, um, another another character who's kind of similar to Keef, um, is in the Lunar Chronicles. There's Carswell Thorne. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know how many people, like, listening to this would know um, Lunar Chronicles, but yeah, he's he's also kind of similar. Has like this like suave outward demeanor, and I remember like back when I had friends IRL who like read Coddock, um, we would yeah, there were a lot of we would like pretend that they were this we'd like make jokes that they were the same person, and they honestly are kind of similar. So yeah. I feel like that type of character is more common than, like, the big heroic, like, always suave and confident. A lot more people would, like, identify with that kind of a character. Right, because it's, like, it's a way to take that, like, yeah, like, outwardly really confident sort of character and then add some complexity to it. Alright, so the next thing that I thought of when, like, reading, rereading this is we found out that Horse Girl is actually Horse Girl. Yes, Horse this Girl. This is when Forkman. <laughs> Forkman. 
Forkman and Horse Fork Girl. Man. Horse Girl is literally a horse girl here. And she has, like, a whole identity crisis. She's like, I really am a horse girl. I love how so many things happen in this section in, like, such rapid succession. But yet, still, they manage to spend, like, a whole page on Sophie just having this crisis over, like, oh my god, I'm part horse. Like, we're about to kill you through this allergic reaction. Sophie in the corner, I'm a horse girl? <laughs> she And... Okay, it's, like, very middle school dramatic of her, I have to say. Because she's just, like, thinking, like, oh my god, I'm never going to be able to look into a mirror again and not see my horse eyes, my weird, freaky horse eyes. <laughs> Utmost middle school. Still, this entire chapter, all I could think about was that Coldplay song, Fix You. Because that's all they talk about is fixing and fixing. And I was like, stop. <laughs> No, that song really should be the theme song of Coddle. Exile. The only song you're allowed to listen to while you're reading it is Fix You by Coldplay. Has been <laughs> confirmed. Like, you just you have to listen to it and repeat over and over until you finish? Like, 12 hours later. Knows every chord of Fix You. <laughs> did you, like, did you see how through, like, the end when they're, like, trying to escape with, uh, Glitterbutt? How Keith goes, can you just manifest an ability to get us out? <laughs> I was like, ain't that accurate? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, honestly, that is that is kind of how things tend to work with Sophie. Anytime she's in trouble, I'm like, oh no, it might be a new ability. And then she ends up actually manifesting, like, teleporting. True. Although... It's, like, less manifesting and more, like, discovering that she can do it because because of the horse DNA. Horse girl! She is a horse girl through and through. I'm really interested, though, to because I haven't read the most recent book. I don't know if it's been explained, but you know that memory that Fork Man is talking about? Why it was oh, taken away? Oh, the one where she was, like, nine? Mm-hmm. Has that been talked mm-hmm. about in the book yet, or is it still a mystery? Yeah, that was actually that was talked about in book eight. So I'm not gonna spoil what that memory is, but she does get it back in in Legacy. Ooh, I'm interested. Ooh, I'm so excited! It's coming in the mail. I'm ready. And then, um, Sophie like drinks the limbium. Yes. So Sophie does drink the limbium. And gives herself an allergic reaction. Something I did like about that scene was like how Mr. Forkle was, how Mr. Forkle kept emphasizing that it was her choice, that he wasn't going to force her to drink the limbium or force her to not, that she had, she had the choice either way. And now like, wow, this episode is full of pop culture references, but now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm just thinking like Sophie's choice. Um, but um, but I re- I did like how there was that idea of Sophie having her own free will. I feel like that helped people, like, trust Forkel in the books. Like, be like, he didn't force her to do anything. It was her choice, and she chose to go through with it. Right. Like, there are definitely some shady things that the Black Swan has done, like, regarding like changing Sophie's genes 
without her consent, really, and whatnot. Um, but they really rolled the dice on her. Yeah. Like, Let's add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. <laughs> and whatever happens, happens. Yep. And we'll just throw some horse in there as well. See what that does. I just, I think it's hilarious that she is a horse girl. She is a horse girl. She's every middle schooler. Yeah, she seems to get over the weirdness of it pretty quickly. I think that was helped by the ending, though, when her friends were like, we accept you as any way that you are. And, like, the weirdness of being part horse feels kind of, like, offset by the fact that she can teleport, which is, like, pretty cool. (laughs) And if we remember in the previous book, she got told she was an elf and her whole life changed. Yeah, I feel like she's just like, yeah, I guess this is what's happening now. What's next? I can heal minds? I can. It's like at one point we just have to start accepting the weird things that happen and just roll with it. I feel like by the time she's like 20, she's going to be like, I've seen everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Either that or she's going to like, have this realization when she's 20 like oh my god all the stuff that happened to me was so weird and I never questioned it <laughs> she was just like yep let's go uh, I always wonder though like how the series is gonna end when she's gonna pick a stopping point you know because I don't know if it's gonna be like all the way through the elite levels or if she's just gonna stop it after the never scene I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how Shannon stops the books, like, what she picks as the ending. Yeah, I agree. No, that's that's also a question that I've been having, because, like, as the books have gone on, it feels more like the series is... The series feels more open-ended, like, it could really go in any direction. So, for, like, however long... For whatever number of books there is left... So, yeah, I'm really interested to see, like, what Shannon decides to focus on for that to be, like, the final boss-level last book out of all the conflicts she set up. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she has put a lot of, like, different storylines in and a lot of different, like, things going on. So I don't know if she's going to be able to finish all of them. Because we are getting to book... We just got done with book eight. And that's long for a series of like this type yeah and we know I mean I do I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that book nine is going to be the last one but like don't hold me to that because I feel like it could go on longer that would be a lot it would be a lot that would be a lot to like wrap up it would be a lot to do in one book but there is also 8.5 and we don't know what's really going to happen in 8.5 so I'm so interested to see, though, how she wraps this all up because she has given us a very, like, well-structured world. Thus, there's so many different things that are woven into the story. So then things going to have to be, like, very elaborate or very open-ended. Yeah, like, it's there's just so much that I feel like either you focus on one thing, like, you focus on the never scene, or you focus on Vesper, and then that's how you end. Or somehow... Shannon could take all these plot threads and merge them into one, which I think would be really, really cool. Yeah, to see how everything, like, lines up. 
So before we move on to like Havenfield and like her teleporting, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about during like the uh reaction scene? I had a few like scattered notes. They're just like things that I noticed. Um the first thing is that we learned that Mr. Forkle that Sophie can't get into Mr. Forkle's mind. I don't remember if this became like a big thing later on, but I didn't remember it, so I was kind of caught off guard by that because like I think we're supposed to think Sophie can get into anybody's mind go into everyone yeah I wonder if they made that a specific way or they know a specific reason why she can't and it also made me wonder like since Mr. Forkle made her and was the person who like did her genes um if it was like maybe Maybe Forkle, since his DNA is, like, he does have an impenetrable mind. What if he used his own DNA in her to make her have an impenetrable mind? And maybe that's why she can't get into oh, his mind. Oh, that's a really good idea. Oh, I like that theory a lot. Because he did say he, like, experimented on his own DNA a bit before Sophie, right? Exactly. So maybe he brought that into Sophie. Know. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. That would be really cool. And it also kind of naturally leads into the next question I have written down, which is the the theory that Mr. Forkle is Sophie's biological father. I know he said he wasn't, but that also doesn't account for the fact that either one, he could have lied, or two, there were two fork men. And... It's possible His that twin might have been her dad. Right, that the one that the Mr. Forkle who told her he wasn't her dad was actually wasn't, but it was the twin who was. So Oh, that'd be so interesting if that was. Yeah, I feel like that's like a loophole that's kind of just sitting there. Like Mm-hmm. And also has been like set up. So if it did happen, we'd be like, Oh, I saw how that happened. Cause if he did experiment on his own DNA and he put that into Sophie, it would make a reason why she couldn't get into his mind, but everyone else's. And this whole idea of twins could be like, well, I didn't wasn't your father, but secretly my twin was. Right. Yeah. And that would be like, I don't know. That would that would be kind of a cool plot twist. I feel like. Mm-hmm. I also feel like it would account for why. Forkel feels so like such a fatherly figure to Sophie right yeah because he tends to come across that way because like he does care about her a lot and that is in part probably due to the fact that he created her and like he's put so much into her and the black swan but it could also feel kind of familial yeah I just if that would be true I feel like that would be super interesting to dive into the specifics of if Forkel was her father. I think it also gives the whole like Oh, you haven't you haven't read Legacy. So this It's okay. I really don't mind spoilers. Okay. Like... Yeah, this isn't really a spoiler, but um at the end of Legacy, Sophie does find out who her biological mom is and then she decides I don't want to find my dad. Um just Maybe because that it's would, not like, make her fi- figure out who her dad is. Maybe she finds out by accident. Right, like, if she finds out it was Mr. Forkle, I feel like that would give her biological father just more plot relevance. Like, it would feel more important. 
Because mm-hmm. it didn't feel like... Because one of the other hosts, Sam, she told me about this when I was asking a question about Sophie's parents. Orlai doesn't really seem to have a motherly figure to Sophie. So this might just add another layer to Sophie's idea of like parents and different sets of parents. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like, it's kind of an interesting difference, right, between Orly and Mr. Forkle, because yeah, like you said, Orly wasn't really a motherly figure. She was just, she was pretty, she was like a friend of Sophie, but you know, being on the council, she wasn't a huge part of Sophie's life. Whereas Mr. Forkle- She was like an acquaintance. Right, she was like an acquaintance. Whereas Mr. Forkle was so involved in everything. She was pivotal throughout her entire life, like from the point of calling the hospital to the point of helping fix her when the light leaping like broke her. And also just later in the time when she just needed someone to help answer questions. Mm -hmm. And also just like living next door to her for 12 years of her life. So he's literally always been there. I feel like that would be a nice way to send off one of the fork men. Is being like, yeah, what if the one who's her father, though, was the one who passed away? Oh, oh, that would hurt. You remember how when Sophie went to go talk and found out that Forkman was a twin? She's like, I'm the one who gave you that scar, which is the limbium. So the other one who wasn't there passed away. So that one might be her father. And he can't deny it because he's passed away. Yeah, that's possible. You know, I kind of want to make a chart or like a timeline trying to figure out which fork man was where at what point in the series. I feel like that would be helpful. I just thought about that. I don't know if that's actually possible. I doubt we'd be accurately able to. But I just was thinking about that because in one of the books, uh, the twin was like, I gave you that scar. And the other one was obviously the one that passed away. So that actually could play into the idea that Sophie's biological father has passed away. I love conspiracy theories. I'm so sorry for going in a a long tangent. So getting back to uh, after the after the. (laughs) Sorry, that was all we veered off the road (laughs) just a little bit. But um, yeah, getting back to the so after Sophie recovers more or less from the allergic reaction. Um, just at really the perfect time, the never scenes show up, and things go badly from there. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're fighting to keep Sylvanae all right and, like, being able to, like, get her back to Havenfield. But Sophie obviously can't, like, inflict and help because she's still healing. Because she just almost died. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, um, so this, and this scene also is where, it's where Keith, Keith throws the, the throwing star and it injures one of the Never Seen members. We later find out that that Never Seen member was Gisela. So, and I just, I loved rereading that scene. I love things that are just set up in earlier books. I, it was great. Mm-hmm. I like when there's little details, because that really shows, like, depth in the story. Mm-hmm. I also um, really liked how later, uh, like a chapter or two later, Keith was like, oh, maybe we'll be able to identify that never seen member. Like maybe 
the the star will leave a scar that we can recognize. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I wonder if it will. That's wishful thinking. And then later on, you're like, oh, it was helpful. And then she manifests ability. Yeah. Right in the dire time of need, I can suddenly teleport because of my horse DNA. <laughs> so teleporting, teleporting is our um, ability of the book, I guess. <laughs> in this book, Sophie will manifest this ability. Although, this is actually the last ability that Sophie manifests for a while, right? Not until, like, Lodestar. I think, yeah, not until she gets her enforcer, right? Yeah, the the enhancing, right? Yeah, that one, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, she teleports, that's pretty cool. I really thought that was, like, her coolest ability. Was When I was, like, younger reading this, I was like, she can teleport? That's awesome. I mean, I mean, yeah, teleporting is really cool. Also, like, to me. Wait, sorry, one sec. I'm I'm recording. Okay, we're back. Um. Also, like to me, I feel like teleporting would be the most useful out of all her skills. Like, just imagine if you could, just wherever you could find a cliff i guess so maybe that restricts it a bit but you could just well, you could also use a building true you could use a building or i think later like sophie like levitates herself at one point and then lets her free fall so but just like if you could do that and just instantly be anywhere in the world i feel like that would be so convenient mm-hmm. i also felt that the ability made so like made so much sense like the fact that like her alicorn DNA caused her eyes, so it might have caused other things, and eventually was able to cause teleporting. I felt like it made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like we were saying before about how, like, Sophie's genes were just, like, oh, rolling some dice. Like, the alicorn DNA, the purpose of it was so that she could inflict positive emotions, but it ended up having all of these other side effects, some of which actually came really in- came really well in handy mm-hmm yeah I think because like also since the black swan never really knew how it was going to affect her that there was going to be all these unknown variables unless they practice it on someone else yeah like I think I think Mr. Forkle said that the en- the enhancing was an accident as well right so it's like a lot of just unintended stuff I feel like that was just something that seemed to have made a lot of sense with how Sylvanae could do it and so many other things, like, spawned from it. I feel like that made a really interesting, like, variability. So, yeah, after afterwards is when we get to... Well, okay, so first off, we have a brief altercation with the council because... We know that, like, every book, the council has to get in the way somehow and say, and, like, try to exile Sophie. This happens all the time. It's always necessary. She breaks laws like their hobbies. <laughs> it's just an, just an ordinary day in the life of Sophie Foster. Um, but afterwards, so Sophie finally, now that she's fixed, she finally goes to, over to Everglen to heal Alden. I loved this chapter. 
so much. Um, there's one thing before we hop into Alden's mind melding and fixing. Do you did you see how like Bronte was like, well we we should be able to choose when Sophie uses this mind break fixing ability. It kind of foreshadows the circlet when Sophie was like being regulated. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's like it feels very similar. Mm-hmm. Cause she's like, shouldn't I be able to pick how I use it? And they were like, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the council just I think it's because the council is kind of afraid of her. They just keep trying to control, like, yeah, put all these rules and restrictions on how she can use her abilities and what she can use them for and when. And then they finally made it, like, physical in the fact of the circlet and causing so much pain to her. And then they, yeah, and then we go over to Alden's house. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, so, yeah, I... I love this scene where she heals Alden because I am a sucker for the trope of, like, love healing everything. I just, I, I love it so much. I love that concept. I really like how it was executed here where, like, she was thinking about, you know, Alden's family and all the things that he loved and things that made him happy and that was what brought him back. I just... I, it's not necessarily like something unique. It's something that's done in a lot of books, but I just, but I, I really liked the scene regardless. And she like finishes fixing him by talking about like I can fix Princeton's, right? Prentice. Yeah, and that's like the ultimate thing that that heals him because that's because that was also the thing that broke him, right? That guilt over over breaking Prentice, and she's like, no, you know, it's. It's okay, we can fix it. That Coldplay song kind of applies here too, I guess. This book's literal, like, everything about it is just Coldplay fix you. It's its theme song. Exile's theme song is Coldplay fix you. I rest my case. Did you see how later on when they're, like, correlating with the council again, like, they're like... You broke Sylvanae's wing. We need to, like, exile you. She, like, won them over by doing a spectacle at a festival. And they yes. just dropped it. <laughs> I know. I That was that was so weird, not gonna lie. But I feel like it's also just really representative of, like, who the elves are. Where, like, it's just so superficial that they're like, oh, well, as long as you can, like, keep our reputation looking good and, like, make Sylvanie do something cool at the festival you're you're fine all treason forgiven didn't they didn't Fitz say in the first book how laws weren't normally broken so maybe they really just don't know how to dish out punishments maybe I mean I I guess <laughs> like they yeah. were like let's exile everyone she's like I'll do a spectacle at the festival and then we never talk about it again and they're like deal <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I swear. It was a pretty cool spectacle, though, to be fair. To be fair, it was. It was definitely a law-mending spectacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really hope that, like, later in the books, you know, because, like, they talk about Bronte's, like, 
inflicting and how he wants to learn how to inflict positive emotions. I felt like that set up his redemption in a sort of way. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like he has been, like, slowly getting a kind of redemption arc or at least some growth and that he's, like, slowly been becoming more okay working with Sophie and working with the Black Swan, but I hope that he gets, like... Well, one, I do... I hope that he gets to inflict positively at some point and that it's, like, helpful to the plot. I think that would be cool. And I also hope he gets some sort of big, like, act to really show that like oh yeah he's he's on the good side and he's changed i also liked that shannon kept like a gray character in the mix right because then yeah. not everyone was like supporting sophie there was also someone being like mm, maybe this isn't a good thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah bronte's a really good character he reminds me a little bit of like snape from harry potter in a small sort of way yeah yeah same yeah, I think it'll be interesting in, like, the final showdown if he plays a big role in it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be... I would like him to play a role in, like, the big climax. Because he has been there since the very beginning of the series, and he's, like, he's an important character even if he's not, you know, one of the main seven. Because if you think about it... All three of the counselors Sophie met with the first time she was, like, trying to see if she could get into Foxfire were important characters. Orlai is her biological mother. Kenrick served such a big, like, plot line in Everblaze and later on. (laughs) R.I.P. R.I.P. Kenrick. And I feel like maybe Bronte, his big moment is to come. I don't know. I like to dive way too deep into stuff. Yeah, that is that is the end of the book. That is the end of Exile. Oh, what a beautiful book it was. We finally got to see Keith. <laughs> we finally, Keith cover. finally got to like, yeah, t- true. This is exi- the Exile cover is my favorite cover. It's so pretty. Sylvani, love her. <laughs> yeah. I have it right in front of me. I was looking through the book, and I love the cover. I also like that Keith had a bigger role in the story as well, like, bigger than um in book one. Because, like, we hadn't actually seen a ton from him until now. And I just, I don't know, I, I, liked, I liked him being there. I felt like it helped introduce him... To be more of a main character as he became later in the series. I also think it helps you like understand him and why he acts the certain way he does. So it makes you like feel for him and like him more. Right, yeah. He definitely became a more like well rounded character here. Um, just because he was there for more pages. And he was given such like a protector kind of role. Did you see during one of the parts, Sandor calls Keith good boy? Yes, I did. I did notice that. It was after, um, it was after Keith said that he had wounded that, um, that never seen, that, yeah. <laughs> I was so taken back by reading that again. I, I was know. like, what did he it's say? Like, okay. It's like he's a dog, kind of, but okay. <laughs> Why don't you just go pat him on the head? Good boy. And on that note, this has been KeeperCast.
good boy edition. <laughs> but, um, yeah, do we have any, like, final thoughts about the section or about Exile just overall? I really liked this book. I actually liked it better than the first book and the fact that, like, it explained so much more about Sophie, you know? Like, I felt the first book was more about world building, and then the second book was more about Sophie building. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, the first book was about establishing the Lost Cities. But Exile, yeah, one of the reasons I really like Exile too is because it's so character-driven. Like, we get so up close, and, like, we go so deeply into all of the characters in terms of, like, seeing how they deal with Alden's breaking and then, you know, and then Sophie trying to figure out, like, why she's broken. It's all internal. Mm -hmm. And we establish more of, like, Grady and Adeline's, like, relationship with Sophie in this book. We see more of them as a mother and father figure rather than, like, guardian figures. That was, that was Exile. Um, next week we're gonna have a bonus episode. I am sadly not going to be there, um, but... Neither am I. Yeah, but um, we have fun stuff planned for that week, so watch out for that. And then the week after... I'm excited to see. And then the week after, we're going to start Everblaze, which will be very fun. Everblaze is so fun. Um, If you want to follow us on social media, you can go to... Keepercast on Tumblr or the Keepercast on Instagram. Send us a message. We'd love to hear it. Um, as for me, you can message me on Tumblr at Malamelting. You can also uh, you can also go to Instagram, which is also Malamelting, but I don't actually have it on my phone at this point. So if you send me a message, I won't get a notification for it. And you can follow me on Instagram. I don't have a Tumblr. I should probably do get one of those because i'm currently a bad fan in that idea but you can follow me on instagram which is just boyer underscore tegan and i just post normal stuff but i always give a shout out to KeeperCast, so make sure you follow the KeeperCast instagram they always send really good updates about episodes and stuff like that this has been exile and this has been KeeperCast. see you next week